ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 24 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To better serve the hobby, ComC recently made changes to streamline their services and improve turnaround. They even opened a new building. To learn more about the exciting changes being made at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. It is time for episode two or part two of our conversation with Adam Gray. Last time we talked more about his background and the background of the basketball card fanatic magazine. Today we're going to dig into a couple hot topics of interesting things that are currently going on in the hobby, I guess you could say. We're going to talk a little bit about grading. We're going to talk about a couple of the consignment marketplaces that have gotten into a little bit of hot water or had some pretty serious accusations about them that have been uncovered on the blowout forums. We're going to talk a little bit about the idea of balancing accountability with things that aren't going right and should be going a lot better with the overall perspective of the total volume of business that those those enterprises are doing. How much should we expect them to have control and an understanding and a knowledge of some of the shady stuff that might have been going on? How much of it, how do we know for sure if they're behind it or not in order to hold them properly accountable? We're going to get into a little bit of all of that kind of stuff and why everybody loves grading, some of those types of things. We're going to get into that conversation in part two today. So stick around for that. Let me know what you think about that. But we're not going to start that until I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. They break new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. And they, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, are going to be starting a brand new physical location hobby shop so check out their website at udogcollect.com to learn more about both their breaks and their shop and join them on Facebook and YouTube if you want to get the full experience of Underdog Collectibles. When you go check them out, make sure you tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. All right, let's get on with the interview. One of the other things that I wanted to touch on is cards and the magazine aren't your primary focus. You know, you've got a family, you've got a day job, you know, you're a, a collector as well, but you're heavily engaged in all of those things. You know, I often get asked the question of how I balance my day job, my family, collecting the podcast and running the card shop. How do I, how do I manage all that? And, and I answer that it takes a lot of intentionality about how I use my time. I'd like to ask you that same question. What strategy do you use to balance your time amongst all of your priorities? One of the things that I've learned in my life is that people like um, people like you and maybe people like me who have a, a lot of things going on don't often think that they're doing their things that that they have um, they don't they don't do everything that they'd like to. Um, 
and so, and I'm, and I'm the same way. I'm not particularly proud of, of how I, of how I always handle my time, but in general, I think I do a pretty good job, right? I don't have other hobbies. Um, I am either at work or I'm at home. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even get to watch as much, um, of, of the sports that I love, um, that I used to, I'm either spending time with my kids or my wife, or I'm working or I'm working on basketball card related things. That's like, that's my whole life. Right. I don't do other things. I don't, you know, I don't go out and party. I don't have to go to school at this point because I did that. I did all that a long time ago. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, as, as, uh, as we were talking about before we started recording, like there's just times where I realize, man, I'm not doing very well at all of these things. The other thing that's important to, to bring up here though, is that the magazine, um, although maybe I'm, maybe I'm part, maybe I'm the face of it. Um, there, there are two other people who are just as responsible for the success of the magazine as I am. Black Griffin Cards is a, um, is, is a guy on Instagram that I would suggest everybody follows. Um, even if you're not a black, if, even if you're not a Blake Griffin a fan, his ability to understand how to design the magazine is 100% him. Um, he convinced me early on that we needed to step up in a major way. And if you go back and you look at issue one and you see what he has done to the magazine since then, you'll see that he, he is 100% responsible for the success of it. And I give him all the credit in the world. The other person is um, a good friend of mine named Remington. Remington is a professor and he is, he is a PhD who literally like understands how to write. And so, you know, as we, as we've wanted the writing in the magazine to be top notch, we've needed somebody better than me and Kevin, Kevin, uh, Black Griffin Cards, he and I are both good writers, I think, but, but Remington's a really good writer and we needed somebody like that. We, I need, I, we needed, we needed help. And, and if, if Kevin and Remington wouldn't have, wouldn't have been part of this, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have made it as far as we have. Um, as far as like my family goes though, I've got an incredible wife. Um, she is, she's, she does everything. She's like, we would all, everybody in the family would fall apart without her. And so I just have a tremendous amount of like, like wonderful people around me who help me to do some of these things. But the thing that, the thing that was important to me about the magazine was like, it's something that I feel passionate about. Like I love it. And so I'm, I'm at a point in my life where like, I did an episode on my podcast about this the other day called man in the arena. Like you want to be the person I want to be the person in my life. Who's like trying to like really create the change in the world that, that I want to see. Right. I want to be the person who's like working at the thing that matters to me and the hobby community matters to me and the knowledge of it matters to me. And so, the, so basketball card fanatic really matters to me. It's, it's a big, important prop project that I love at this point. And so, you know, you, you have to do some things in your life that you have real passion for. Uh, otherwise you get to the end of your life and you, you, you're left with regrets. So, you know, is it, you asked me, you asked me a deep, hard question there. I think a big part of the answer is like, I have passion for everything that I'm involved in and I've cut crap out of my life. Like looked at my life and I said, what's this, the crap, cut that out the stuff that I care about is really what's left. I think 
as you just stated, and as I found myself, I think that intentionality is is so important to get those yeah. things done so that the priorities can stay the priorities. And when we make it like that, when we make those priorities, the, the focus, it's amazing what can actually be accomplished and still be done well. And so thank you for, for sharing that. Here's my question for you. How is you, as you try, I like you're saying there, living intention, living intentionally, as you sort of recognize that in your life, maybe some stuff is creeping in that isn't intentional. Like, how do you, how do you remove that? How do you say, okay, I am going to push that out because I do still struggle with some of those things too. Yeah, that's hard, right? Because I like to make people happy. I like to serve other people. I like to help other people. And so when I have people asking for me to serve on a board or serve on a committee or um, participate in, in certain things like that, that are all good things, there's a, a point in time where I've got, I've had to say, I can only do so much. And my family gets, gets priority time. Um, my faith gets priority time. My day job gets priority time. And my passion of cards, whether that's content creation, whether that's the, the business aspect of cards, th- that gets some of my time. Some of these other things have to go by the wayside. While, while your committee is a good thing and I support it, I'm not going to be able to serve on it. You know, I, and it's something that I've had to learn of how to say no, how to say no politely, how to try to find other ways to assist, point them to other resources, point them to other people that I think would be equally as good in, in helping them out. Find things like that that can help meet those needs where I'm not going to be the, the person that can meet that need for them. I love it because um, you've basically just said cards come third. It's your, your family, your job, and then cards and then also in the middle of all that, you have all these other things that are so important to you. You mentioned faith too, which is, is which I'm sure is very important too. But but those those other two things, and then cards were clear, um, and and faith, like I said, faith's probably above the cards obviously too. But um, then you also have the serving people, and that's important too, right? Like if you can't have real friendships and and have an opportunity to to serve and do good things, then then, then you're, you know, you're missing out on that. So I guess the, the real answer is we're always going to struggle with it, right? It's going to be a lifelong battle, but um, if you're going to be engaged in anything, you want to be engaged in things that are good and you'd rather be engaged in more good things than not enough good things. And so it's probably a good problem, probably a good problem to have. Yeah, I, I agree. I want to do everything well, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm living up to my full potential and contributing to my my full potential as well. There's a couple things hobby related as a as a fellow collector there's a there's a few things that I find myself conflicted with within the hobby. And I wanted to get your perspective on a couple of those because a couple of them from what I've gathered in listening to you and reading um, the magazine and that type of thing that that you you have a different perspective on them. And, and one of those is grading and the current infatuation that the hobby and the industry has with grading. Now I see a place for grading in the hobby and I see the, that it plays a role in the hobby. But what I have a hard time with is the rationale for the current multiple that is given to most modern graded cards. 
do you have any thoughts on on helping me come to grips with with why some of these modern graded cards where even as a, a PSA 10 has thousands of population, right? How that is worth the multiple that it's it's given. I I understand some people like graded cards, right? I understand that um, some people want to protect it with a with a case, but that multiple I have a hard time with when it comes to from a value perspective. It's a simple question um, and it actually has, I think, a lot of different a lot of different like underlying thoughts that develop how I feel. And I think you and I actually probably end up pretty similar as far as how we collect on these things. But but let me let me dive in a little bit. My first founding principle, and it's something that I used to tell people when I worked at a card shop, I, I worked at a card shop for like seven years here in Utah called House of Cards. The thing that I would tell people, because people would always ask me the same question, they'd say, what should I buy? And to me, it's the weirdest question in the world. You know, would you go into Walmart and ask them, what should I buy? Would you go, where, why should somebody else know what you like? So my response was always buy what you like, because in a hobby like this, you never know if what you own may go to zero, right? You may have things that you spend a lot of money on that may end up being worth nothing. So if they're going to end up being worth nothing, you better at least own something that you like, that you get enjoyment out. Um, you know, if your only enjoyment that you get out of it is that it's worth something, then you may be in the wrong hobby. So I would say that to people, you know, buy what you like. And I would say that to everyone today, you know, and if it's graded cards, then, then that's awesome. Um, if it's not graded cards, then that's awesome. I have graded cards and I have non-graded cards. I have cards that are worth something because they're graded, but most of my cards that are worth something are worth something because of what they are, not because of what they're, what they're graded as. I, um, as I, as I've interviewed people for the magazine, um, the people who I've, who I've, I've generally, uh, interviewed are people who are like-minded in this manner. And that is that Kiki, by the way, Croatian twins writes about that in this month's issue that will come out in the next couple of weeks. He writes about two different types of like cards that create value. And one is a card that is made valuable because it is rare. It's difficult to find. It's high in demand. And the other one is made valuable because of how it's graded. And um, the second type isn't appealing to me in any way. And I think that's the way you are too, is you're like, there's thousands of these things out here. It doesn't really matter just that it's, you know, just, just because it's rare or just because it's in, in great condition. But having said that, that my quick stipulation is if something's, you know, older, and it's very hard to find it in a certain condition, then the, the, the condition is what makes it rare. And it's really like formalized by the grading process. So, you know, for example, I have a 71 tops Wilt Chamberlain card. There's like something like 20 of those in the world. And to me, that's why I own that card is because it's rare and it's in that condition. But do I want something that's valuable that's, you know, the one that the people always talk about is like a Luca Prism rookie. Do I want to own that because it says it's a 10? To me, that card couldn't have less of an appeal. I don't mean to speak negatively about it, but I have no interest in it. It's a card that there's thousands of. There's thousands of them graded in a good in a great condition. It just doesn't matter to me. I don't care. But to some people, they really care. And to them, I would say, because I hold strong to this principle, buy what you like. I would say you should you should buy what you like there, but if you're doing it for investment purposes, it's probably another conversation to have there. I agree with that from the perspective of 
I see the, the, for vintage, I see the fact that condition and a low population of great conditioned vintage cards is legitimate, right? The increased level of confidence you can have in authenticity of vintage cards is legitimate. But it's that, and that's why I kind of phrased the question from a modern perspective. Yeah. There's nothing unique about a PSA 10 Luca or a PSA 10 Zion, nope. et cetera. And so I always caution people, it's nice. And yes, it's labeled a 10. Just be mindful of the premium that you're paying in relation to a card that is not at all scarce. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I appreciate that, that perspective. Can I just jump in real quick and say, I think, I think, and this is just me speaking personally now, I think that, you know, your advice is, is, it feels more like it's more like it's related to how you feel like that will change going forward. And you and I share the same opinion on this, but I'm always hesitant because I'm hesitant to give my opinion because, and I've, I've, I've had people as recently as yesterday, accuse me of this. People will say things like, you know, you're, you have a voice, you have a platform in the hobby and you have the ability to influence what things are worth. And what's interesting about that is the ultimate example of that was Beckett magazine, right? Like they influenced what things are worth more than anybody else ever has. And so here I am doing a magazine and like, I've got to kind of tilt my head to the side and say, you know, you're probably right. What we talk about probably does have the ability to influence how people think about values. It's just the nature of this though, right? We don't, most of us don't have like following of millions of people but some do and those people can actually genuinely like flip a switch and prices change Mm -hmm. even for those of us who don't though even for those of us who just have a few thousand or whatever followers um when we speak we have the ability to influence how people think so in saying what i just said about the luca and then you agree with it has the chance to change things and i never want to do that and, but it just, the conversation devolves into something that's entirely philosophical and you realize you can't actually have a conversation thereafter about something you're passionate about. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to live with the risk that you might influence things, but try not to, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The other question that I wanted to touch on, um, something that I struggle with a lot is, the consigners, um, Probst, Probstein and PWCC. I know there's a, they are some of the biggest sellers on eBay. They um, do a lot of business, but they've also been at the center of a lot of controversy. And they've been at the center of a lot of shenanigans that have been uncovered on um, Blowout and some of the other forums with documented cases of things that don't seem to be quite on the up and up emails every, I mean, a lot of things that tie them to questionable behavior. Yeah. Um, Personally, I have a hard time looking past that when considering, you know, doing business or supporting um, those organizations. Other people, you know, don't seem to have that concern. And, and I would be the first to say, I don't think a hundred percent of their business is, questionable, but there's enough there that, that makes, gives me pause when I think about those two um, companies. How do you look at situations like that when, whether it's those two or whether it's others in the hobby that have 
questionable reputations. How do you look at that and evaluate whether or not there's legitimacy to that or whether that is something that's blown out of proportion or I guess, how do you make sense of that as a, as a fellow collector and somebody that's, that's engaged in the hobby? I really love your question. And I think you've, I think you've asked it in a really fair way. Um, and it's in a way that um, I think, I think at the crux of it, you're asking, how do you reconcile dealing with individuals or with entities that we know have done wrong things, or we know have at least been part of things that are really bad. Um, and what I would say to that is, um, I'd say a few things, and this is, this could be a really long answer, like we talked about beforehand. I know I have a tendency to be long-winded, so feel free to tell me to be quiet at, at some point. But um, the first thing that I would I would say is that if we if we just you know engage with entities that are perfect or that are are are, are have not been engaged in anything wrong or people that have not done wrong things then we're going to have a very short list of people and entities that we can engage with including you know banks for example if you go to if you go to you know a bank you, you probably bank most of us have a bank if you look online at some of the things that your bank has been engaged in you're probably not going to feel very good about it um you know if you think about if you think about like your spouse and and my wife is basically perfect <laughs> but if you if you look at like you know yourself if you look at almost anybody in this world you're going to see that there's some mistakes along the way um i would say that the majority of the things that have happened that have transpired negatively with the auction houses and the consignment companies and they're basically the same thing right consignment companies and auction houses are virtually the same thing um, the negative things that have come from those have been mostly perpetrated, I think that's the word, by, um, by the people who have used them. And I think that's got to be very frustrating for the auction house or the, or, or the consignment shop because, you know, they're there to, to stand as a middleman, to do your work, to get the stuff sold, to give you the money. And then in the process, people are using them as a front, Right. People are sending, people have sent, you know, many altered slash fake cards um, to, to them. And then people use them um, for the purposes of shill bidding. And regardless of what any auction house or what any um, consignment shop does, there's very, it's not actually possible to prevent all of, you know, we can talk about both, both of those things, the alterations and the shilling, it's impossible to, to protect from all, from either of those groups of things happening or to be or, or being used in that way. What I can tell you for sure is that as I've sent things to the various um, consignment shops, and I've used you know Comsi, I've used um, I've used Comsi a ton, I've used Probstein a ton, I've used PWCC less. Um, all three of them have had some number of people who end up returning the item. Um, but all three of them are lower than 3% where it either doesn't get paid for or it's returned. Um, I think all three of them have had issues with the alteration things too. It's just the nature of it. Um, but I don't know what they're supposed to do. I don't know how they're supposed to fix that. And so I don't know. 
I mean, they, they, I know PWCC has started doing a thing where they only take cards that are encased from the company or they're graded, but then you miss out on like a whole segment of cards that like we want to be able to buy. So that's not perfect. Um, you know, the graders are, are the ones that are supposed to make it so that you can't, you can't have, you know, altered cards. And then when you get a, a, an altered card that is graded, it's like, well, what was the point of that? So I don't know. I don't know if that's a good answer, but, and I certainly didn't answer anything. I did, I don't know that I answered everything that you want me to. Do you have any follow-ups to that? Any thoughts on what I said? I, th I think that's fair. I, when I look at that, when, as I consider those types of things and, and yeah, like you said, there's, it's very rare that any of us are going to be perfect. Right. But if there are organizations or entities that have engaged in questionable behavior. For me, what I look for to win my trust is transparency. And I think with a couple of these entities, one of my biggest hangups is that instead of more transparency, we're getting less transparency. We're hiding the bidders. And so even if somebody's trying to show, hey, this person's a shady bidder, you, we've got shilling going on. When we can't, when we have less transparency and we can't tie that back, that's some of what we saw in the past. You know, yeah, people yeah. accused of shilling tied to emails with the owners of some of these entities discussing shilling. And now we can't do that because we're hiding all of the people who are bidding on our, on our auctions. That lack of transparency does little for, for me personally to have faith in that entity's um, ethics, I guess, is, is what I would say. So, I, and I don't know, you're, you don't speak for them. I'm not expecting you to, to, to do that. I'm not saying that you have all of the answers. I'm just saying these are some of the things that I struggle with from some of the most popular, I mean, the numbers don't lie. They are some of the biggest sellers in the hobby and in the industry. These are just some things that I struggle with personally as I think about where to do business um, where to recommend um, people do business with those types of things. I just have a, a those are some things I'm conflicted with. And I, I love to get other people's opinion who are deep thinkers. Yeah, I think, I think you and I are pretty much, I think we're pretty aligned. Um, when, when I, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. When, when, when I saw that PWCC um, removed um, bitter, so back up, when you bid on eBay, we should probably detail this a little bit because a lot of people don't know exactly what we're saying. When you bid on eBay and you look at the, um, at the bid history, you can, on most auctions on eBay, you can look and you can see that like the number of people who have bid on a card and you can see like, um, you can't see their name, but what you can see is like their, the feedback number of the bidder. And maybe like four to six months ago, PWCC decided that they would make all of their auctions private, which has long been an option on eBay. It's something that eBay provides for, and um, that a lot of people, a lot of people check that box and they say, "I want to make this pr private." But effectively, what that does is it makes it so you can't see any information about the bidders. You can just see like what number of bidders there are. You can't see, you know, you can't see like who was like what their feedback is and a lot of times people try to use that feedback number to sort of prove that something's being shilled but i think we all sort of realize that like it's totally not a perfect system to like look at something and be like oh that's shilled 
And there's this thing that um, I call reverse shilling where somebody will go in early in an auction that's not private as a zero feedback um, bidder and they'll bid things up and they'll delete bids and they'll just make, make it look like all sorts of shady stuff's going on and that'll drive away bidding. So there's, there's all different types of manipulation that are out there. And we've, you know, we've, a lot of us have talked for hours and hours about these things and thought a lot about them. I asked um, in the most recent issue of, of Basketball Card Fanatic, um, I asked uh, one of the guys who works at PWCC named Je Jesse Craig, he's their VP of business development. I asked him about it, I was like, why'd you guys do this private bidding thing? It just makes you guys look bad. And he had a really good response. He said, tell me another auction house in the world that does the quality of, of items that we, that we do, um, you know, the, and uh, that has some ability to see who's bidding on, on the cart. It's like, we've got, you know, we've got billionaires and, and um, high, high, not only high wealth individuals, but famous people who are bidding on some of our things. Why do we want to show that off? And I sat there and I thought about it for a while and I thought, you know, I might not agree with it. I might wish that it was still there, but I get it. Like, I do get it. I, I can imagine, I can, I can imagine like reasons why they removed it other than just this idea that you and I first thought of, which is, dang it, this is going to make shilling more, um, you know, more prevalent, prevalent, prevalent. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'll tell you is I followed up his, that question to him and I said, tell me what percentage your auctions are not go going paid for these days. And he said, I'll be straight up with you and I'll tell you, and I shouldn't tell you this because it's one of the, one of the things in the magazine that I've sort of been selling people on, but, but he said, um, he said, we have, if I remember right, he said, it's about 4% of auctions go unpaid for. That's like I said, that's pretty close to what my, what my experience with them has been too. Um, people shill things, not just because they're the owner, people shill things because they own the card too. Yep. And there's, it's, I, it's just, it's tough, man. I, I, again, I wish that they still had it. I'd like to be able to dissect it, but I don't know that actually having it prevents real, like, I don't know that them taking it away made it so that fewer items are being paid for. Just put it that way. Yeah. They're, they're tough questions for us to think about in the hobby, right? They're, there's not necessarily easy answers to, um, but they're things that as a collector, as a, investor, however you want to look at it, there are things that we all need to be considering when we think about um, who we choose to do business with and what the different alternatives are that are out there. Um, I appreciate I, you you thinking through that with me. Can I say one more thing real quick? Of course. Um, I, I, um, I probably did a disservice to the hobby by recommending for a few years so strongly that, that people use consignment companies because what, and I don't know that I actually had any effect on this, but but the consignment companies all became really inundated with, with stuff to, to sell. They, be, they became overwhelmed and none of them, you know, I think of the big three being ComC, um, PWCC and Probstein, none of them were able to keep up um, when things got crazy. But, but, what I'll, but I'll do it again here. So I'm probably making a mistake again in saying, if you haven't used a consignment company before to help sell cards, um, like it's the nicest thing in the world to basically put a bunch of stuff in a box, ship it off, not have to do all that work. Because I've I've listed back in the day when I was buying my house, I listed 600 items for sale at one time, and it was such a disaster. It, it was so much work and so much effort, 
And the fact that we can just have somebody do that now and they basically like, I mean, it's almost free to do that because of the, the rate that eBay gives to them. They basically pass the savings on to you. Like it's hard to not use a consignment company at this point. You mean I'm going to get the same amount of money and I'm not going to work for them. Like, yes, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I'm a, a huge proponent of, of Comp C. You know, I always say eBay, Comp C, and Sport Lots are my three online platforms of choice based on the types of, of cards and, and what kind of category of cards it is that I'm, I'm dealing with. And then I've got obviously the, the physical uh, stuff at the brick and mortar shop too. And it is, it is a, a great benefit to be able to manage the volume of, of work is, is to be able to, to leverage a consigner um, for those things. Appreciate the, the conversation today. Um, so what's next for Adam? You know, where can people find you, find the magazine and, and learn more about what it is that you're putting out? You can reach um, the magazine at, um, on Instagram, either through my personal Instagram, which is, uh, as we talked about, Real27Guy, or through Basketball Card Fanatic. Um, if you want to um, email us, uh, we can be reached at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to thank you for giving me a chance to come to come get on here and first talk about the magazine, but also it's been a lot of fun to talk about the other things. I'm grateful for your good questions. Um, but uh, if anybody if anybody's interested in, in learning more about it uh, or getting a free copy, I think that's the, that's the main thing. You know, we've talked we've talked about it, but if you want to get a free digital uh, PDF copy, I'm, I'm always happy to send those out. So uh, shoot me a message and I'll get it to you. Or if you, if you want to just try getting the physical one, um, you know, if we pumped that one up enough and we sold anybody on that, uh, if you want the physical copy, it comes in a really cool, did yours come in the bag? Did you get the sleeve on it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I love that. Cause it's like, it's like you're getting the card in the mail and yep. you like open up the sleeve and, um, you know, I'd, I'd be thrilled to send that to anybody that that is, um, $35 for three issues. Um, we're basically, um, 35 for three, 14 for one or $130 for a year. And I'd love for you to come try out, try out one, try out three. And then the other thing is I, I, I'd love if, you know, for the, for those of your listeners who, who have tried it, you know, this Mike, like any amount of sharing is just so helpful. I've had, I, had a couple people message me last week and told me that they took their their magazine after they read it to the shop and they were showing it off like that sort of thing is a huge deal for us because we are a startup we're not printing thousands and thousands of copies right last issue we printed 100 copies total um this issue will print probably 2x that it's not a huge amount it's not we're not getting rich off that off this anytime soon. <laughs> so um, if anybody wants to share it or, or help share it or any of that sort of thing, I would be grateful. Yeah, I definitely recommend that people check it out. You know, I started with uh, bu buying a kind of a bundle of past digital issues. And so I was able to kind of catch up and, and get through the, the first several um, issues. And then, like I said, once I got a chance to read this, this most recent physical copy too, it was, it was pretty cool. So definitely recommend that, that you all check it out. Well, thanks again, Adam, for, for coming on. Anything else that you'd like to uh, wrap up with today or make sure the audience knows before we go? Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, particularly looking to see the design work around uh, an article uh, written by a very famous and wonderful uh, 
a podcaster slash uh, card, shop, card shop owner um, who I happen to be talking to right now. So I'm interested to see what, it, what I've read the article. Obviously, I loved it, um, but I'm interested to see what it looks like here in a couple of days because I'll get the first draft here here in a sec. So um, we'll pass it on to you as soon as as soon as we get it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I do have an article in coming up in one of the the upcoming issues, and so I'm excited to check that out as well. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Mike. Moco is your small town local shop with a global reach. Conveniently located in New Buffalo, Michigan. We're an easy drive for most residents in Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. Come see us every Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5 and Sundays from 12 to 5. Want to shop from the comfort of your home? Give us a call at 269-469-0140 or visit our website at thesportscardshopatmoco.com or our Facebook page. Major credit cards and PayPal accepted and we ship anywhere in the world. We're an authorized dealer for both Panini and Tops, with new sealed wax from both arriving weekly. And yes, we have PSA and SGC graded cards and over a quarter of a million singles in stock. Be sure to follow us and turn on notifications for posts to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you don't miss out on new arrivals. The Goatcher family has been serving this community for over a decade. So stop by or visit us at the sports card shop at moco.com. Balancing time, grading companies, and consignment companies. Some of my favorite topics to discuss. Actually, just some of my favorite topics to think through. Some issues that are not easy answers. And it's great to have somebody like Adam just to be able to bounce ideas off of and talk through and think through some of these things. That's one of the best things about the hobby. That's one of the biggest reasons that community is so important in the hobby is to have people to bounce ideas off of and think through some of these issues. Celebrate the cards that you love. Brainstorm about ideas on how the hobby can be better and just have somebody else to be a part of celebrating this hobby with is one of the the favorite things that I've got about building a community within the hobby. Let me know what you think about today's episode. Find me at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Let me know what you think. And if you want to check out the Basketball Card Fanatic, I've got the links in the show notes. You can reach out to Adam. He'd hook you up with a free copy, most likely, if you want to check it out. And make sure, if you do, to tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. That's all I've got for you today, so I'll catch you next time.